This morning, we're continuing our series titled Every Season of Life, and today we'll be discussing parenting. The excitement is overwhelming for a young couple about to have a baby. That moment, months before the baby's born, looking at that positive pregnancy test, filled with elation, knowing that they're no longer just husband and wife, but they're now father and mother. Even though they haven't seen this little child yet, they don't, they don't know who this little person will be. It doesn't matter. They've already fallen in love with this child. It's overwhelming in a good way. However, a few years down the road, and maybe with the addition of a brother or sister, or a couple of them, the word overwhelming takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Parenting children is a, is a joy when our kids are being obedient, following the household rules, submitting to us as parents, but that little snapshot doesn't seem to come around very often, or as often as we'd like it to, at least in my house anyway. So how can parents effectively show love when their children are in rebellion, when they're not obeying, when they're not following the rules, when they're not submitting to their parents? What does showing love look like? Today, we're going to look at our relationship with our Heavenly Father to gain some insight on what showing biblical love looks like. Through that lens, we'll see that biblical parenting comes down to a balance between consequence and compassion that God shows us every day of our lives. When parenting gets overwhelming, knowing when to choose consequence and when to choose compassion can make all the difference. So let's start with the difficult one, consequence. There are two main types of consequence found in Scripture. First, there are natural consequences. These are the cause and effect circumstances that result from people making poor choices. When there are authoritative consequences, that means that's kind of when discipline must be issued by an authority figure in response to rebellion and disobedience. So there's natural consequences and authoritative consequences. To make this clear on a cultural level, a natural consequence would be getting hit by a bus while playing Pokemon Go in the middle of the street, a choice that has many unique consequences all of its own. And a an authoritative consequence would be when your employer fires you because you've been taking extended lunch breaks to catch Pokemons. By the way, none of those Pokemons that you've captured will be able to pay your rent or buy this month's groceries. Okay, that was fun, but let's look at some biblical examples of parenting. First, natural consequences. Turn with me to First Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. There are no shortage of natural consequences in the Bible, but in particular in the Old Testament. So many times God would outline the best plan for the children of Israel to live in safety and happiness and wholeness, but instead they would choose their own path. In 1 Samuel 8, we have a pivotal, pivotal Old Testament moment, Old Testament moment where the people of Israel are about to make a terrible choice which will end in years of natural consequences. And so God is using uh, the prophet Samuel to guide the people and hopefully make the right choice. Let's see what they do in verse 4. Verse 4 of 1 Samuel 8. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. 
They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. So here, the people of Israel have the creator of the universe as their heavenly father and king. But nope, they saw what the next door neighbors have and they want it too. You know, you can kind of just hear this. It is like a child in a lot of senses. You know, it's like, Daddy, all the other nations have a king, and we want a king too. We want a king, Dad. Poor Samuel's like the older brother trying to talk some sense into his younger siblings. He can see how bad this is going to go. He can see the situation. He can see the end of the road. And and it's like he's talking to his heavenly father, Dad, this is not good. You're not really going to let them go through with this whole king thing. They're being so dumb. Come on, Dad. God answers like a good father, like a good parent should. Samuel, if your siblings want to take this path, it's not about you. It's between them and me. Spoiler alert, by the way, the people of Israel didn't listen to Samuel's warning, which led to all sorts of problems, but like a good father, God loved them, and God never abandoned them, as we know throughout the Old Testament. Now, natural consequences, natural consequences occur in our relationship with God all the time. Our Heavenly Father will warn us of the outcome of a poor choice, but gives us the space to make that choice. And parents can learn from this relationship. As parents, we easily warn our children before they go outside, before they play. We're always trying to uh, warn them all sorts of things. But we need to fight the temptation to protect them from every poor choice. We can't always come to the rescue before they cross that line to a bad choice. If they're not in any real danger, we need to let them choose their own path. For example, if our child is flying a kite near trees, we can warn them to move into an open space and tell them, hey, you're going to lose your kite. But if they don't listen, we have to let that kite fly into the tree. And when it gets stuck, they'll be upset and there'll be tears. But we have an amazing opportunity to teach our child what natural consequences are all about, showing them that we warned them, but we had to let them choose. Let's move on to authoritative consequences. These are situations uh, that we find in scripture where God issues a punishment or discipline for for rebellion or disobedience. Here's a couple biblical examples. Uh, Moses. Moses was called to lead the people out of, of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. Leading a couple of million people, I can imagine, I, I sympathize with him. It must have been a frustrating ordeal, to say the least. And at one point, the people run out of water. And they're grumbling, and they're complaining, and even stating, we were better off in Israel or in Egypt. We were better off in Egypt. And Moses goes to the Lord for help. He's frustrated. And the Lord says, 
don't worry about it. The Lord gives him a miracle plan. You know, he's like, well, I could just get water of a rock. Maybe I'll do that. So call the people together, speak to the rock, and fresh spring water will come pouring out, and there'll be enough for everyone. The Lord will provide. Well, in Numbers 20, Numbers 20, we read the moment when Moses' frustration gets the better of him, and he lashes out in anger. In Numbers 20, verses 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11, we read, Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, doesn't sound very kind, must we bring you water out of this rock? Must we? We, him and Aaron, Moses and Aaron are going to bring water out of the rock? Pretty sure God's doing it. Anyway, must we bring you out of this rock, water out of this rock? Then Moses raises his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Okay, lashes out in anger. In God's eyes, this was unacceptable behavior for Moses. And so in verse 12, we read the consequence, the authoritative consequence that is brought down on Moses. And it says, it says, the Lord said, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Because Moses' behavior was unacceptable to God, disciplinary action was issued. Moses would not enter into the promised land. And considering Moses had given a huge component of his life to see this fulfilled, I'm sure this consequence definitely stung a bit. Let's look at another example in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, in the New Testament, we read about Christians not treating communion with the reverence and discernment that they should. The church was getting divided. Uh, They were quarreling over social class. They were being gluttonous and getting drunk on the wine. Terrible situation. Communion had lost all remembrance of Christ's humility and sacrifice. The church was in rebellion and disobedience, and their behavior was unacceptable. Well, in chapter 11, verses 29 through 32, 1 Corinthians 11, 29 through 32, we read, For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why so many of you are weak and ill, and a number of you have fallen asleep. By the way, that's a metaphor for people are dying. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. If this is your first time in church, uh, this can be hard to swallow. But this is how serious God is about Christ's sacrifice and uh, about our remembrance of that sacrifice. And the, the Christians of Corinth, they, they were in rebellion against God, corrupting communion and, communion and acting immorally. God's disciplinary action is to, he, he decides, he obviously in this setting, that he's going to withhold his healing power from the church, allowing weakness, illness, and death to take place. And I'm sure this, these Christians, I'm sure they prayed that people would be healed and, uh, and lives would be saved, but God withheld his healing hand because they made such a debauchery of communion. Theologically, I believe discipline looks very different under the New Covenant, the New Testament, than it did under the law in the Old Testament. That being said, I still believe God disciplines us as his children. 
Passages like Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 lead me to this conclusion. We read, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. He disciplines who he loves. As parents, I don't believe we should enjoy giving authoritative consequence, because I don't believe God enjoys it. However, God shows his love to us by taking disciplinary action when we rebel and disobey. In turn, a parent can show their love to a child by taking disciplinary action when the child rebels and disobeys. I believe that scripture teaches us that one of the greatest ways we can show biblical love to our children is by providing consistent discipline when they choose rebellion and disobedience. But consequence is just half of showing biblical love. Scripture teaches us a balance between consequence and compassion. Compassion. Sometimes instead of consequence, God chooses to respond in grace and mercy to ease our hurt, our sorrow, our despair, our shame. I believe it comes down to our heart condition. I believe he looks inside of us, and and if we have a heart of rebellion, then it's consequence. But if we have a heart of submission, it's compassion. Even when rules are broken, Scripture shows us that compassion can still be available to those who submit themselves and cry out for help. This is characteristic, this characteristic of God is, is most seen in the person of Jesus, uh, through Jesus' sacrifice, our salvation, that whole story. But we also see it in Jesus' ministry on earth recorded in the Gospels. For example, the Gospels tell of two different women living totally different lives where Jesus chooses compassion over consequence in both these situations with both these women. And I believe it's because of the situation and the heart condition just didn't warrant the punishment. So he showed compassion. The first found in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and beginning in the second half of verse 42. Here we go. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Maybe you're wondering, what's wrong with Jesus Jesus being, uh, her touching Jesus' cloak? Like, what's the big deal about that? What does it matter? Well, we need to remember at that time, according to the law, a woman who, was, who had menstrual bleeding was considered unclean. They weren't allowed near sacred things. They weren't allowed to touch men. They definitely wouldn't touch a rabbi uh, nor the Messiah. And considering this woman had been affected with, with 12 years of hemorrhaging, she would, have, she would have been known in the town as an unclean woman. 
Think of the shame and embarrassment. With this affliction, she carried a lot of baggage. And when Jesus singles her out, some in that culture would totally perceive, oh, here we go. Jesus is going to lay down a rebuke and a punishment. She should have never touched a rabbi. But Jesus sees her heart condition. She's clearly in submission to his lordship. She's trembling at his feet, full submission. And, and furthermore, she had the faith that even just touching the edge of his cloak, a tiny piece of fabric that was attached to him was going to heal her. That's massive faith. So he takes a countercultural response and he chooses compassion over consequence. But maybe you're thinking, come on, Jeremy. This woman was afflicted with this thing. She couldn't help being unclean. How at fault was she really? Come on. Okay. Well, let's move to the next gospel. In John chapter 8, John chapter 8, we find another woman in a very different circumstance. Beginning at verse 2 of John chapter 8, we read, At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a bias for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the oldest ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go and leave your life of sin. Even though this woman disobeyed God's law and was deserving of death under God's law, Jesus saw her shame and sorrow. There she was, dragged in the temple in front of religious leaders and the socially elite, guilty of sexual sin. What other choice did she have but to submit? Maybe she even thought to herself, maybe she thought, just kill me and end this shame and embarrassment. Just kill me now. But Jesus saw something inside of her that was deserving of second chance. So he chose grace and mercy instead of ex the expected consequence that the crowd wanted and that she deserved. How Jesus shows compassion on these two women who had clearly broken the law gives us some guidance as parents. If our children are in submission and they clearly understand what they've done wrong, we need to be cautious on how we proceed. There's a time for consequence, but we can never rule out the power of compassion. Depending on the situation, grace and mercy may just bring about a better result. Our Heavenly Father, His union with His children, with us, His union with us is, is this perfect balance of rules and relationships. We shouldn't be surprised that as parents, we're called to balance rules and relationship as well. 
Going too heavy on the rules where the law is primary can lead to heartache. But going too heavy on the relationship, trying to be friends instead of parents, can also lead to heartache. We must find a balance with our children as God has with us. So what role does the church play in all this? What role does the church play in parenting? According to scripture, we're family. We're all brothers and sisters. As a church, we embrace child dedication, whereas a church, we commit to assisting parents raise their children. But do we mean it? When a mom's struggling with a child having a tantrum, will we ignore her or help her? When a dad looks overwhelmed holding a screaming toddler, will we ignore him or help him? The church should come alongside parents and help them find that balance between consequence and compassion. It takes courage, I totally understand, to ignore that voice inside her head that says they don't need your help. But believe me, as a parent of three children, of three boys, it, if we don't need it, we'll tell you at that time. But that doesn't mean that we want you to stop asking because we might need it next time. As we respond in worship, we're, we're going to sing, we're going to pray, and we're going to give our tithes and offerings. And if you need prayer as a parent, or, or you need prayer for one of your children, please come forward, let us pray for you. Maybe God's calling you to, to action in some way this morning. Maybe dedicating your child is what he's calling to you. Maybe helping our children through community groups, uh, babysitting or serving in our children's ministry. W whatever God's calling you, let us know. Let's pray together to close. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us through your word. Thank you for this church and the things you're doing. Father, thank you for the blessing of children and the excitement that comes with that and also the lessons to be learned that comes out of that. Father, help us find the balance of consequence and compassion the balance of rules and relationships. Give us your wisdom. Help us parent the way you parent us. In Jesus' name, amen.